You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant. The shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh! A spectacular by Michael Jordan! And now, your host. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fisher. Welcome to the On the NBA Beat podcast. I'm Aaron with Lauren. We know this is an NBA world that we're just living in, but week by week, we're weaving through all the teams, bringing you the best and most exciting stories. We did that earlier in the week with Doug Branson, talking about the Charlotte Hornets, who are exceeding expectations. They've won nine of their last 12. And they're doing it in a variety of ways, Lauren. They trailed by 13 in the third quarter against the Milwaukee Bucks, ended up coming away with the narrow victory. They're winning in blowout fashion as well. What do you think are the keys to their success recently, and is it sustainable? The win against Milwaukee, they were just able to stay focused until the end of the game. A lot of the credit for that win should go to their defense. They forced nine turnovers for the Bucks in the fourth quarter alone, and by taking smart shots themselves, they were able to turn that into a series of big runs. The Hornets just seem like this season a well-coached team, and even though they don't have superstars on their team, Kemba's improving every game, as we see, but just through their team play, their good bench, and everyone working together in synergy, they've been able to come out with a lot of wins against teams that you might think are better than the Hornets. Right. You said that they were well-coached. Steve Clifford, the big red dog coach, he's a great one. He's provided stability for their team and their franchise, as talked about in the interview. And I think one misconception about him is that he really wasn't for the three-pointer. Last year, though, they were near the bottom of the league in three-point attempts at 19.1 per game. Now they're over 29 attempts per night, just a dramatic increase, seismic shift in their offensive style of play. And I think the misconception stemmed from Clifford always emphasizing defense, trying to keep the score low. And so people naturally assumed, well, they don't like to shoot threes. But as Doug Branson so astutely pointed out, they didn't have the personnel to execute that. They do now, right? When you look at the players that they acquired between last season and this season, you could really see that there was a focus on improving their three-pointers. They were ranked close to the bottom of the league in three-point attempts. We also talked about how they were last in the league last season in three-point shooting percentage. So in adding guys like Kaminsky, Haas, Nick Batum, and even getting better contributions from Jeremy Lamb and others like that, There was real focus this season, I think, on structuring the offense and getting the personnel to improve that. Because as we know, that's the direction that this league is going. If you can get efficient three-point shooters, especially from your big men, if you can stretch the floor with your power forwards, then that's a strong way to run an efficient offense. Yeah, like Fergie says, and also Doug Branson, MKG and Kemba Walker have been up in the gym just working on their fitness. To what extent do you think all those hours for those guys are finally paying off? Neither of those guys were known as guys that could shoot the lights out. And I don't think they're at that point yet, but 
now defenders have to respect the shot, at least in regard to Kemba Walker. Yeah, as you said, especially Michael Kidd Gilchrist, when he came into the league, his jump shot just looked so broken. His previous three seasons coming up to this one, he made a total of three threes. Obviously, that wasn't a focus in his offense. It wasn't his strong point. But in the offseason and also when he was out with the injury in the beginning of the season, he was working on his shot a lot. He's only played seven games a season before getting re-injured and being out for the season again. But in those seven games, he made three threes. He was shooting 40% from three, admittedly a very, very small sample size. Kemba Walker also came into the league, not necessarily as a bad shooter, but around 30%, which is lower than you want from that position, especially. This season, he's increased his attempts, he's increased his shooting percentage, and that's a big reason why he's having the season that he is. Such a strong offensive season, especially. Yeah, he's such a skilled, versatile offensive player, but it takes away the drive a little bit when Teams don't have to respect the outside shot. The last thing for the Hornets that I think is important for us to go over briefly before we take a break between segments is the uh, road woes for Charlotte. It is the biggest disparity among playoff teams between home and road winning percentage. They're just not getting it done on the road. Is that something that they can fix? We know they need to fix it if they want to make the playoffs Even if they do make the playoffs, they're likely going to start off on the road in the first round. So it's definitely something to pay attention to. I think the source of this is that Charlotte's well play comes from, as we mentioned before, contribution by committee. It requires everyone on their team to make significant contributions from top to bottom. I think the difference between the home road performances come around those marginal level players. One thing I did want to point out is they've won two straight on the road. One was a blowout victory over the Pacers, which is a high quality win. And then they had that comeback victory also on the road in Milwaukee earlier this week. So small sample size aside, it looks like they're starting to find a remedy to that problem. Right. I just meant that when you need every single player on your team to play well because they don't have that one superstar to carry them. I think that's a source of these home road woes if you have not every one of your players playing well when in a different situation on the road. Yeah, so Charlotte, definitely a team to keep an eye on. Huge shout out to Doug Branson for a spectacular interview. Lots of great information and stories in in that discussion. We'll be right back with more talk on the NBA broadly, where we discuss the trade deadline deals and see where various teams are at following their moves. Welcome back. So the trade deadline came and went last week with a lot of the big names staying put, as you might have expected. Kevin Love, Dwight Howard, Blake Griffin, all the other superstars in the rumors stayed with their current teams. 
but there were a few minor trades that could have an effect on the rest of the season. Aaron, I know one of them is of particular interest to you. The Clippers traded Lance Stevenson and a pick for Jeff Green. Can you give us your thoughts about that? Yeah, it was an interesting move. I think it's a strong move in the short run, but I think that's in large part because Doc Rivers never really trusted Lance Stevenson. He would have strong showings in limited minutes, showing flashes of brilliance with his court vision, his energy and athleticism. You know what we've seen from Lance Stevenson in the past, particularly in his Indiana days. And he's only 25, which a lot of people don't remember. And they had him on a really good contract. It was a team option for the next year. So the ball was entirely in their court. But the issue was Doc Rivers never completely trusted him to give him consistent minutes. And the team does have a lot of depth. Rivers just couldn't find a slot for him. And so that's why I say it's it's a strong upgrade in the short run. Because Jeff Green is going to give you 20 minutes or so, solid energy, I think he's not as good as people say that he is. This season, he was shooting below 31% from three-point range. He'll be 30 in the offseason. He's also a free agent, and I kind of fear that the Clippers will want to keep him and that he won't be worth it to keep and pay. But just talking about this year, they definitely have more depth now at the small forward position, but it gives them more flexibility, too. If they want to play a smaller lineup to combat that of the Warriors, You could put Blake Griffin at the five and Jeff Green at the four. Just go with a lot of those small guys, maybe a three-guard lineup with, say, Chris Paul, Paul Pierce, and Jamal Crawford, or J.J. Reddick. So I like it in the short run. I don't think that it puts them over the top and makes them a lot more competitive with Golden State or San Antonio. But when Blake Griffin comes back, they are still a lot better team. And so I don't think it hurts in them trying to compete with those guys. Yeah, Jeff Green's always that sort of tantalizing type of player because he seems like, based on the eye test, it seems like he should be good, but consistently he's underperformed expectations. And throughout his career, it seems like his teams have been better without him. So it's an interesting move. He's a Doc Rivers guy. It'll be interesting to see how that works out. I'm sorry, Lauren. I just wanted to add one more thing. He's not really that athletic. That's never really been that much of his game. So that's kind of a downgrade on on the athleticism side of things, which is not necessarily that big of a deal. The Clippers do have a lot of athletic players, so they're fine in that area. But you did raise an excellent point that I forgot to bring up about the Doc Rivers connection. And that's what I think a lot of people are annoyed about with Doc Rivers as the decision maker for the Clippers is that he brings in a lot of guys that he's especially familiar with. But he's not that adept at scouting untapped talent that he hasn't had a connection with. And that's also why I kind of alluded to me being a little afraid of Rivers wanting to sign Green in the offseason and and potentially give him more than what he's worth. Sorry. That's a really good point about Doc Rivers balancing his coach and GM roles. Another guy who I think is probably doing the best job of that being a combination coach and GM is Stan Van Gundy. Segway. (laughs) Who pulled off two minor but important moves for Detroit this past week. The first one was sending Brandon Jennings and Ersan Ilyasova to Orlando in exchange for Tobias Harris. And the second was sending a protected first round pick to Houston in exchange for Donatus Modiunas. I think 
letting go of Jennings and Ilyasova will hurt them for the rest of this season. But now they have a really strong young core adding Tobias Harris into the mix. And I'm really interested in seeing what Tobias Harris can do under Stan Van Gundy's coaching. He's the type of player that fits in well under that system. He can act as another stretch four when they need him to or a three. Stan Van Gundy loves to employ the four out one in type of offense. And Donatus Montiunis, he hasn't been playing much this season because of a back injury, but he's another Stan Van type of player. His three-point shots improved a lot since he's come into the league, such that he's a credible threat from out there. And also, last season, he was one of the best post players in the NBA in terms of points per possession. So I think he could work as a serviceable backup to Drummond if needed in that role, too. Excellent points. Yeah, I agree. He's he's underrated, Monty Yunus. I really think so. Right. You always worry about big guys with back problems, so Mm -hmm. that's an issue. But I think the Rockets could have gotten more for him. Or actually, I just wish that they had stuck with him. But anyways, one team that's had a lot of turmoil and problems come up this past week is Sacramento. Actually, they've been in the news for that all season long since the offseason. Can you talk about that, Aaron? Yeah, it's a shame. They've been a dysfunctional franchise for some time now. It really all started with Michael Malone, the firing of him last season. They've been through so many coaches, and coincidentally, they're about to play the Denver Nuggets, so that'll put it on display for the entire league, the awkward Michael Malone-George Carl head-to-head coaching matchup. But there's all these issues of a power struggle, and the owner of Vivek Ranadive, it's plain to see for everyone that he's in over his head. George Carl and, and he were butting heads when Cousins cussed at Carl in the locker room and George Carl demanded that DeMarcus Cousins be suspended and Vivek disagreed and refused to. And now this past week, George Carl's top assistant, Vance Wahlberg, whom he's been influenced heavily by over the years and, and shares coaching philosophy, a lot of stuff in common in that regard, he's gone. George Carl is pissed about that. He didn't want his guy gone. Apparently, it's come out that Vance Wahlberg wasn't really getting along well with the players. There was some butting of heads. And apparently, Nancy Lieberman, one of the assistants on the staff, and Vance Wahlberg also had some issues with each other. So George Carl's pissed off about that. Again, that undercuts his authority. Of course, the front office has the purview to make that move, but... All aspects of the organization don't seem to be getting along. It's really a shame because DeMarcus is having a career offensive year, seems to be getting better every single year. They added Rondo. He's been a bright spot in their offense, moving the style of play and getting assists left and right. And they have decent talent throughout their roster. It's just that all of a sudden they've fallen off. It appears that they're not going to make the playoffs. And... As you know, Lauren, it it just happens when the losses start to pile up, the dysfunction starts to mount, and it's been especially bad for the Kings in recent years. And I hate to say this, but it's probably only going to get worse. Yeah, that's a sad situation in Sacramento. As you said, I don't see it resolving itself anytime soon unless something drastic happens. There are a few more moves that happened around the trade deadline that could have consequences for the rest of the season. Possibly the most influential of those was the Magic sending Channing Frye to Cleveland. 
our previous guest from the Magic, Zach Oliver, really wasn't a fan of Channing Fry, but I think his skill set and the role he'll be asked to perform in Cleveland makes him a good fit with that system. He'll be able to stretch the floor for them as a big man and just give them a little bit more versatility in lineups when they go against teams like the Warriors and Spurs. And it seems like every time we bring up one of these moves, we compare it in the context of playing against the Warriors and Spurs, but that's the reality of the NBA landscape right now when you have two historically good teams that you have to go through. You're right. That's an excellent point. It's kind of sad that we have to compare every team, at least every contender to those two. But yeah, we're just being realistic. And it's an interesting move. They really didn't give up that much in the here and now to get a guy like Channing Frye. So I think that it'll be interesting to see what he brings. He definitely stretches the floor and he could create lanes for guys like Kyrie Irving, LeBron James driving to the basket, and even Kevin Love giving him more room to post up because we know that when he posts up, he's at his most effective. I don't think, honestly, that Channing Fry is going to get a ton of time right off the bat. He's going to have to prove himself. And also, they have such a deep roster, but any little bit that he can add to their team, I think makes them that much better, makes their offense that much more dynamic. And it's already a dynamic offense. They're really just looking to get over the cusp. They're already great. They're the number one seed, even though they just recently changed out coaches. They just need to get a little bit better to improve their postseason prospects. He right. may be a downgrade defensively, but um, but Verzal wasn't playing at all. So they're really not losing anything that they had already. They're just gaining a potential improvement um, in, in their offense. Right. When you go against those two big teams, even as typically great teams, any improvement that you can make goes a long way. Finally, I'll just mention some other minor moves. Marquise Morris was traded to the Wizards. That ends a long saga that he had with Phoenix. The Celtics released David Lee, and he's expected to sign with the Mavericks. That could be an interesting move for the rest of the season. Anything else you want to mention, Aaron? Not particularly, but I'm glad you brought those two up. And I think the Marquise Morris addition for the Wizards could be big moving forward. We'll see how long it takes them to integrate him into their roster. I think he struggled for a couple games since being brought on. But we've seen it in Phoenix. He's a remarkable young talent, was clearly being underutilized in Phoenix. And part of that was his own fault. He created so many problems on and off the court. And so I think Phoenix was wise to sever ties with him and kind of start over with their youth movement there. But I like it for Washington too. I think it's a win-win for both of those teams. Yeah, you hope it works out. You hope that Markeith Morris, this saga of his unhappiness is over. So I like that you keep saying saga. That's a good <laughs> word for it. It really, it really is. is. It's a it's a very interesting storyline, but hopefully we won't have to hear about that anymore. That'll close out our show. Thanks for listening again. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes if you don't already or on whatever podcast service you use. And, and a quick teaser, we have the Portland Trailblazers coming up next week.